Welcome to Soundtrack Showdown, our monthly podcast where we pick two soundtracks and pit them against each other and pick an overall winner. month but you know we've come back for the vengeance and love how are you (laughs) (laughs) i love how for you that those are the same thing (laughs) well yeah we'll get to that because like you know when i say vengeance as in like you know we're not gonna let bloody lockdown take our pride our inspiration and our you know everything that we've been building this podcast for the last what almost it's gonna be three years in april fuck yeah do you know I know it's so fast. I know, but so yeah, so that's why I'm saying like, yeah, we're back. Let's do it. How are you though? Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not bad. It's not bad. Um, this has been an entertaining uh, month to go through. I think I would say that for most people, it's probably been a a, a different Valentine's Day. Would would that be would that be fair? Uh, I don't think Valentine's Day existed in 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 my in my world this year, to be honest. Actually, no, it did in some ways. I actually got the best Valentine's gift ever. I got my little yes. I got my um my demon cat with me, more like <laughs> demon cat. Is that what you're calling more him like now? Demon kitten, actually, my little vicious killer. Yes. So we should, as just like a little like disclaimer, if you hear or is a squeak. Um, coming through, it's it's probably Ella's cat. <laughs> well, luckily he's actually asleep right now, so thank God. Uh, for now. For now. <laughs> but yes, his name's Raven. He's a lovely little boy. Adorable. And he's the most uh, beautiful kitten ever. We, we should, actually, we should probably post a photo of your kitten on our social media, which is a great way to segue, segue into, uh, if you want to, like, follow along with us and what's, what's going on, find out when we're skipping months, that kind of thing, you can follow us on at Tristella Music. Um, yeah, I think you can work out how to spell that. It's certainly within our show notes, etc. But at Tristella Music on all of the platforms. I think the main ones we're on these days are what Facebook and Instagram. Is that right? And Twitter. Yeah, yeah, those are the ones. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Twitter. I think it's a it's a different platform. If yeah, you need to be engaged in a different way for it, which I don't think it's not really our style. And just to flag another thing before we delve into talking about the films and just what February is all about. Spoiler alerts. Spoilers from the outset. Basically, like we will absolutely be ruining these movies if you haven't seen them. So if you want to see them, watch them. To be fair, I think the gist of these movies is that like you're probably not going to be too surprised by what happens and it's the experience that matters more anyway. But anyway, I shouldn't talk about too much before we get into them. Let's but anyway, you've been warned. What are we talking about this month, Ella? Well, another warning I want to oh. give, perhaps, is maybe the fact that we're going to be talking about sexual activity oh, yes. as well. So just a little warning there for those who may not be aware or, I don't know, may it may have some sort of a trigger moment. So just mm. to give you that alert that we are going to be talking about a specific uh, or mentioning a lot about a specific uh, sexual practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Here we go. February is usually dedicated to films about romance, love and relationships and how the music conveys that and whether it successfully elevates the film's core emotions and its narrative. But this month, 
the two film scores that we will be discussing fall under relationship films, but more so on what happens behind closed doors. In particular, the erotic practice of BDSM. And for those who don't know what BDSM stands for, it's bondage, discipline, and sadomasochism. So there we go. Yeah. What made you go this way, Ella, for this? For this month well it was driven by one of the films that i saw in 2015 in the cinema and i absolutely fell in love with the soundtrack and i just kept listening i was even listening to it during lockdown and i always wanted to do an episode about it and then okay so this is like finding an excuse to talk about this film is that right this film and also i guess the topic itself and then when we would okay. and then when we were discussing about oh what's the other film that we can compare it with i was just like oh oh there is another film that we can compare it with that also has a score written by a very well-known composer mm. so i thought oh it's just one of my favorites in fact so this could be entertaining wow we're really like we're being a bit coy here is this is this like in 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 the in the play of the whole thing or, or <laughs> exactly it's a little bit like you know just titillating people a bit of a tease. Yeah, yeah teasing people a little bit so without further ado first film i assume we're talking about uh, secretary very complicated word right there um with music by angelo badalamenti and the film that we are comparing it against is the duke of burgundy music composed by cat's eyes so who are Cat's Eyes? I'd never heard of Cat's Eyes, I will confess. I mean, I'm going to get shot down in the comments for this, but they're, they're new to me. Well, Cat's Eyes are basically a alternative, psychedelic, 60s-influenced duo. It's a bit like a Tangerine Dream vibes, that kind of thing? Um, kind of. I mean, there's basically, it's an English musician, um, Barris Badwin, who is also the lead vocalist from The Horrors. Have you heard of The Horrors? No. They're like this, <laughs> like a dark indie sort of, again, psychedelic group. And then... Okay. Uh, I know what these words mean. So we were in safer territory now. Yeah. So I guess goth is... Right. It, it, the horrors is more goth orientated with that group. But... Uh, and okay. then the other person is uh, Rachel Zafira. And she's an Italian-Canadian soprano singer. And so... <clears throat> They formed this duo, okay. Cat Size, in 2011. They basically combined those different styles together to form this interesting blend of 60s indie alternative music. Okay. And it's, I, I recommend them. I mean, they're pretty good. I mean, if you, if you like hmm. the sound of the Ronettes, but given a modern twist with some sort of a dark undercurrent, I recommend them, mm -hmm. to be honest. I want to know, what did you think of these films? What did you think of Secretary? Have you seen Secretary before? So I couldn't tell if I had seen it before. Like, I didn't think I had watched it. I thought I had just seen the trailer for it. But when I was actually watching it, I felt like I had seen quite a lot of it, but I'd only seen the stuff that happens in the office, if that makes sense. I hadn't seen anything of the subplot with the, like, the, the normal boyfriend yeah. person. Yeah, yeah peter or whatever so which makes me think that actually it was just a very comprehensive trailer <laughs> that i'd seen that this made you know somebody get one of those trailers that makes you feel like you've seen the whole thing it like it must have been one of those mm. um yeah i thought it was all right yeah it, it didn't do a lot for me but I, th I thought it was a it's an interesting enough film it's quirky it's funny the chemistry is really good it's one of those films you need to watch a few times to kind of i think for some people to understand it and get it um, you think? Uh, yeah, I think to because it's quite complex in the subject matter that they delve into. 
And I think it, okay. it's quite easy for people who are not educated, perhaps, or, or like well, layman's, you know, might just kind of dismiss it as being quite okay. weird or like, but I think for me, I think there's a lot of hidden, in, in you, not innuendos, but nuances there that are quite interesting in the way it's tackled this particular uh, community topic. and topic, I think is very, it's done very well. And I wouldn't want okay. to dismiss it. I mean, in comparison to bloody fucking Fifty Shades of Grey, which I haven't seen. <laughs> I haven't seen. But every time, all the, the research that I've been doing um, for in prep for this, all of them all the time mentioned as a sort of a derogatory, the fact that, oh, in comparison to Fifty Shades of Grey, this is a much yeah. better portrayal, portrayal of how it works. Yeah, of that particular okay. community. And what did you think of the Duke of Burgundy? This one I found really, really slow. It's going to sound like I don't get it. I feel like I do get it. Like, I feel like I do understand that it's very much about the particular dynamic, not only of their particular dominant submissive relationship, but the the particular relationship between these two women specifically. And that, um, you know, this is where we really get into spoilers right away, but like where the, the dominant lady is like, she's really not particularly into it. Like this is more a thing that the submissive is into and that like she's sort of, guiding her along with all of these notes and bits and pieces like the, the twist actually kind of is that you assume the dom's going to be like uh, steering everything but it's it's exactly the other way around it's like the sub telling the dom what to do to the sub and it's like weird little cycle but the dom's not really into it so it's, there's this kind of like ambivalence that exists the whole way through and so like i get it and that's actually portrayed really well and i get that that's a very nuanced and probably quite realistic relationship in its own way but to me I just felt like I spent the entire time watching two disinterested people being mean and annoyed with each other. Um, I felt like we needed some sort of a contrast of um, the relationship working well. So to, to make you buy into the idea of that this relationship was worth investing in, know what I mean? Like I wasn't, I was never invested in the relationship. I always looked at it as being like, this, this doesn't really look, like anyone's having fun here it doesn't really look like anyone's enjoying it i i don't know if i care if they break up if you know what i mean because i just i don't see the love that's being lost yeah that's fascinating because i completely had the opposite to that I, I i was invested in their relationship because why why well because i could see i mean both films basically explore and showcase a complex and beautiful insight into the dominant submissive relationships. And I think mm -hmm. both of them actually address the different kinds of consent within the relationship and the various expectations that one may have over the other. So the fact that you touched upon the fact that in Duke of Burgundy, the sub, the sub is dominating or leading the role play. Mm. I can say the exactly same thing about in secretary so she does kind of insinuate some of the actions so yeah it's a bit more even in secretary i think like at least initially um gray but um sort of takes the lead but but then she sort of takes over yeah but why i was invested because we've all been in that situation where we want to please our partner and we all want to try something so I got the sense that they've been doing this for a while. This, this wasn't just yeah. a new thing. So, and gradually often, you know, when something becomes too familiar, some things can become boring or some things can become a bit of a, more of an effort yeah. and a job. So I, it was becoming 
like like they needed stale. Is, yeah exactly stale and then you needed something different to kind of like um yeah jazz things up a little bit um so i agree so i completely agree with this i think for me i would have preferred to see that before time whereas i think you were able to assume that before time and that may be where the difference happened yeah i i don't know maybe for me i just i saw something more in the details i don't know like I just kind of like the world that they kind of built up. The fact that it's a world where there are no men. It's just all women studying. That is fascinating. Yeah. Like this is a like all female entomologist society world. It's like Stepford Wives, but all women. But in, in a weird kind of way, if you know what I mean? It's like yeah, a yeah. like weird little world. But of its smart, own. intellectual women as well. Absolutely. And it's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the fact that they were even had a carpenter, like a female carpenter, and it just that, that whole society was just fascinating. I remember what because I watched it in the cinema, mm. and I remember feeling like I've learned quite a lot about the difference in the sort of dominant and submissive relationship. Like, there's definitely a scene near the end when Cynthia kind of falters and she's like, Oh, god, I'm really sorry, like, I'm really trying, like, I, I know I fucked up, like. Can mm. you just give me a moment to just compose myself? Like, I, I really want to please you. And you just kind of see Evelyn's eyes, her face. Her, it shifts from being like, oh, don't, don't like, like, I'm trying, I'm trying to please you. Like in, she's changing from being a submissive role and to becoming the dominant person. It's very yeah. slight, but I just remember yeah. that that had a very huge impact on me. I don't know. I did feel invested in their relationship because I could see that both are trying are trying in this relationship, you know, and they do love oh, each I agree other. With that. So the rounds that we're going to be discussing is round one, opening music, round two, characters and fetish, round three, sexual fantasy, round four, relationship breakdown, and round five, legacy. So without further ado. Round one, opening music. And so we're listening to Secretary, main title. Thank you. 
So Angelo is best known for his work with David Lynch, obviously. Um, probably most famous for um, the Twin Peaks soundtrack, but also like Blue Velvet and Mulholland Drive are probably two really big films that he did. He's actually got a role in Mulholland Drive, did you know? Gangster, that's it, that's the one. Because his um, family is Sicilian, so I guess it came naturally. <laughs> There's a gangster who has like a whole thing about having to order very specific coffee, and that's him. Anyway, he's actually one of these like sort of Ennio Morricone types. He's born in America, but he's a very old Italian um, composer. Um but this, so, but this is kind of his sound, this sort of like, it's very simmering, always a little bit dangerous and a little bit off key, or not off key, but a little bit off kilter, a little bit unsettled. He always sort of like errs into jazz. So he'll start with often a, like a quite atmospheric, sort of broody, synthy type sound, but then he'll kind of like throw in a bit of a classic dance beat like a tango or flamenco or something and I, I really I really like it I really love it for this film because it has this balance of being both playful and sinister mm. you've got that sort of that soft Latin dance quality in general Badalamenti is like he's really good at just like understating things which obviously big deal in David Lynch films because David Lynch goes cray with the whole imagery and stuff um and he just sort of like sort of just lets lets the film be the film and i think that's important here as well because obviously we're going to have this big erotic drama play out on film and he needs to just like so gently push us in the right directions but you know the action's going to be between these great actors and the the, the subject matter and it's not going it's not about the music um so i think yeah i think he does that very well and i love in general the sounds of this opening theme where everything's Everything's a decaying instrument. We've got um, like guitar, bass, piano, harp, all of these instruments that you kind of like strike and then the sound like decays mm. and goes away. Um, and he's got these really long kind of like reverbs on everything. So everything kind of like hangs in the air for a while. So I, I think it, it does have this sort of like playful sort of teasing kind of like a quality to it. I, I, I really like it as a way of like sort of setting up this sort of um, – because got, we also need to remember that this film is a comedy. It's a it's a very dark comedy, but it's a it's an erotic dark comedy, and I think it sets up that just the right level of quirkiness for me. For me, one of my notes was that it just has that sort of dated jazzy vibe, and it does yeah. have it's kinky for sure. Okay. And there's a, there's a sense of confidence as well because what's interesting is that when we see Lee's character come in where she has these bondage sort of staves, um rod uh, hanging with her hands basically mm. um, it's a completely different image to then the next scene of her where she's more yes. hunched over like I think it's meant to be six months earlier the title then goes into so we see what she was like six months prior to that first visual of her in the office and I think that is quite important to note because it showcases how far she came and in, in, in the sense of her like where we, we're going to where it's going to lead us into so it's kind of almost teasing us to know so oh you want to know how this happened does that make sense yeah, it sets up the mystery kind of thing of like, yeah, how do we get... Because it's, it's one of the more um, sort of dramatic, kinky scenes is her with the, the rod thing. And there's the so confidence. it's like a reel of like, how did we get there? Yeah, there's the... of, and there's a shift of confidence and personality for sure. And there's also a, a, a sense of not exactly a routine, but like there's efficiency 
there's a sort of mm-hmm. sexual efficiency that she's she knows what she's doing she's in charge as well as mr oh, Grey. okay yeah. you know in comparison to you know when she first started out but anyway there's also elements of like the sound effects that come in they just for me they kind of arouse a sort of subdued animalistic wild quality with a hint of seediness as well (laughs) (laughs) what i just feel like you're describing a perfume (laughs) well you know the sound it exudes that from me (laughs) sure but anyway um i did feel that it does go a bit twin peaks later yeah. down the line with the soundtrack uh, as in as in in this piece kind of goes a little bit mm-hmm. with the sense and it slows down but you almost always get that i think yeah. in almost every track in the soundtrack at some point it goes into that sound and when it goes into that sound you're like oh yeah it's the guy who did twin peaks i i liked it i thought it was a great introduction to the film so now we're listening to the duke of burgundy and the track is called the duke of burgundy <laughs> kind of like it it has this sort of um so my sort of little headline note here is sort of artsy 70s style dreamy folky pop song um which again i think kind of really sets up the tone of the f- well it's mm, it sort of sets up the tone of the film uh, in that i think it sets it up for okay this is going to be one of these very indie artsy sorts of films which i think is an important expectation to kind of get established early on <laughs> Um, and it hits a lot of the sort of general, um, the tones and the pacing of the film, like it, that whole opening sequence, cause I don't think you can extract this, um, this music from the sequence so much. Um, it's very sort of like soft and dreamlike, 
Um, again, we've got sort of like the long reverbs, there's some lingering sounds, and then that vocal is just so like sort of breathy. Um, and I think it's obviously a very big deal in this film, which as we've noted, it, literally everybody's a woman, um, that it, it basically starts with this really strong female voice, uh, or sort of breathy, sultry female voice. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it's a little bit interesting in that, um, the entire opening sequence is devoted to Evelyn and kind of establishing kind of like a false image of her as this like really studious, innocent, um, girl, which is obviously very important for establishing her as the sub in the relationship, but then also establishing the twist for later on that she's essentially in, in command, um, because we've set up. We've set the audience up specifically to believe that she's kind of like the, to, to for a better phrase, she's like the, the, the sort of the dam, well, yeah, or the like damsel in distress almost, you know, like she's very much set up as like the victim, um, which, yeah, obviously plays to the, the dynamic. So I, I think it kind of works. Yeah? Yeah, I mean... I didn't go into that much detail. I mean, I... Oh. <laughs> um, no, I, yeah, for me, I just wrote down it was wistful, dreamy, romantic and psychedelic. It has very lush surfaces that kind of, it does hint on, for me, it did hint on a sort of a dark sense of tension there. You think? Okay. I think for me as a audience, when I saw this film, I felt like I was sucked into the world straight away. So whatever yeah. came afterwards, like the twists and turns, I was kind of going along for the ride. If that makes sense. Fair so enough. that's what you want from an opening theme to really kind of like draw you in. Yeah, and and to create that world of I don't know, it just all kind of blended well together with the fashion and with the sound, the imagery of the nature. It just I. It, it, it basically, it did feel like a music video if, in some yes, way. So, um, yeah. Oh, so I've got two questions for you. Just the first one very quickly. And I mean, your, your answer can be completely random to this. When do you think that this film is set? Based on the fashion, because it's, 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 I would say it's around like 60s. Yeah. It's kind of like a weird and in, modern interpretation of the 60s world. Maybe yeah. set in the future. I feel like it's almost like an alien world, perhaps. It does feel like some sort of an alternate reality. Yeah, I've, I've, because I've seen things suggest either sixties, which is kind of I think where I kind of like assumed, mm. um, probably partly because of this sound, or it could almost be contemporary to now. But they're one of these kind of like weird communities that sort of dresses a bit strangely. Mm. But I saw some that were suggesting like they were thinking like nineteen hundred based on the the fashion style. So I mean, you would not get a pencil skirt. Oh, yeah, good. God, no. Good point. And the other question is, do you think that this opening and this soundtrack is unique enough for this film? Because this film is very unique. Like, there's, I can't think of any films that are quite like this, but I feel like I listen to that opening and I go, okay, obviously, yes, it's a different piece of music to any other film, but, like, it's such a, this is what a 70s movie sounds like when it starts. I just go, okay, 70s art house, boom, here we go, off we do. Well, know, the tick, thing is, done. I think it does because it's meant to be a bit of a cheesy ripoff of softcore movies of that time as well, hence why hmm. the visuals are, it kind of pays homage to those 
like Emmanuel and all those ones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So I feel that the music does its justice. Yeah, in that but it in has that a, way where it's kind of a bit of a pastiche trope kind of a page. Yeah. Yep. And okay. it has a sort of a European feel to it as well. It doesn't Definitely. feel or sound English or American. It, it sounds No. I was shocked European. actually it was a BFI, like English film. Yeah. So, winner? Well, because it's so visually rich in its tone and colours and everything else, uh, I'm going to go for the Duke of Burgundy. I'm going to go with Secretary because I think that was very quirky and a little bit more interesting and original to, to fit that particular tone of that film. Okay. Round two. Characters and fetish. So from Secretary, we're listening to the piece Orchids. I feel that this piece is, I guess, mainly just about sexual tension, isn't it? It's So I really, I've always been fascinated about the use of dance rhythm in film score um, because you really notice it when somebody throws in something like this. They throw in like a waltz, they throw in a, yeah, as I say, a tango, any of those things. Um, it's a very deliberate thing because all of a sudden it adds quite a lot of pace to a film and it affects the editing and it does does all sorts of things. So it's quite a bold move to add in dance rhythms. And um, Angelo does that a lot in this film and it really drives the action quite a lot. Now, I feel like in film, dance music in this style can go basically one of three ways. It can either be an actual dance, obviously, like the characters are dancing on screen and it's the rhythm that they're dancing to. That's fine. It's pretty easy. Uh, two, you use it a lot in comedy sequences, usually with a, like a fast, bright, silly kind of a dance. You expect them in like cartoons and, and all sorts of things. Like, you know, it just adds, it adds a quirkiness. And actually not just cartoons, any comedy you'll actually hear, there's a lot of dance rhythms in there because it just it gives everything this kind of real flow and kilter for people to sort of play against or 
it can be really, really sinister, especially when you slow it right down and you start using it in a romantic drama. It can add this really dark, broody kind of a, a quality to it. I feel like at various points in this film, it's used for almost all three of those. I don't know if they ever actually dance, but it's it does choreograph their moves a bit at times. But it definitely is used to make things quirky and silly, and it's definitely used to make things sinister. And I think this scene usually uses unusually uses it as kind of like almost both simultaneously. Um, I find the tempo of this it's it's uncomfortably slow. It's slightly slower than I want it to be. It's slightly slower than it feels like it should be. I feel like it's dragging, like it's actually getting slower within itself. I'm not sure. I haven't tested that on a beat meter or anything, but it just feels like it drags and it creates these little moments of like discomfort and anticipation, like you're expecting the beat and it doesn't quite happen. And so it builds this sort of like anticipation. Um, and then you've got like, um, you've got that high piano sort of, wafting over the top with it sort of it, I think in this case it's not so much an effect is put on but it's just the sustain pedal on the pianos but it's sort of just got this like long lingering decay of of the note which it gives everything this sort of like you know let's get sexual very beautiful glistening and wet quality which plays along basically to the whole metaphor of orchids as female genitalia because we're going there and that's exactly what the film is doing um the problem I have is that for all of those good qualities, this track feels like a long version of the sort of like cheap, sinister music that I'd expect to hear in like a daytime drama, like the Young and the Restless or something. Like it, there is something about it that feels very soap opera. You? Well, it's interesting how I completely agree with everything you described and and how you evaluated it mm -hmm. i would only add the fact that this is definitely the music it, it tends to kind of hone in more from lee's perspective of her yes it, it sounds like it's much more from her sort of visuals and her feelings and her emotions and her journey um what makes you say that what makes me say that? Um, just because of the slower moments, they tend to dominate a lot more. You get hint. I get hints of Gray's character through span the Spanish guitar. Like any time I hear him, I feel like that is meant to represent him. Okay. Um, but the overwhelming sort of yearning and melancholy is definitely her. Right. And her, I guess, trying to assess and trying to balance out her need for release and to feel alive and slowly merging into, ex no, I wouldn't say exactly even accepting, but just finding a kindred spirit, I guess, yeah. in him. And wanting him to accept that. Because what it is, is basically they're both, as you mentioned earlier, they're both flawed characters, but what they desire is not flawed. It's just a no. facet of their lifestyle and part of their sexuality that society has made them, has kind of conditioned them to make them feel that it's unnatural, there's something wrong with them. So 
they all are also not they don't know each other well enough to know whether they're going to be accepting of those quirks yet mm -hmm. you know so there is that tension of back and forth and like are you you know should i can i go further or can i just you know keep, where are the boundaries and stuff right but do you think that that tension is uniquely with lee at this point or is shared by both of them i would say that this is probably more of her fantasy okay her wanting yeah okay so i mean the reason why i'm like pushing on that is that actually you know i hinted earlier that there's a particular thing that i find difficult about both of these films um this is kind of it now which is the whose perspective are we watching from right which because obviously one of the interesting things about this dominant submissive relationship is that the two sides have very different perspectives of what's going on <laughs> like one is enjoying dominating someone so it's a very um to want a better word, like a very aggressive, powerful kind of a role, and the other is enjoying the um, the re release of control of submitting to someone else, of having someone dominate them and take control of them and take control of their pleasure and happiness and all of those things. But both are enjoying them. It's a pleasant experience. Well, it's, it's not pleasant, it's the wrong word, but it's a, it's a you know it's a it's very, a consensual it's a it's consensual ex experience. Yeah, and it's ultimately a very satisfying experience for both parties. So both like it but they're liking it in very different ways and i feel that this is a problem uh, both in the in the general portrayal of these types of relationships in film but particularly with music which kind of has to pick sides like it's one thing to kind of like passively observe one of these relationships going on and each actor obviously performs their side well and then we can observe it and people can essentially project into i would say one of three roles in the relationship you can either project into the dom and find that fun you can project into the sub and find that fun or you can project into kind of like essentially the watcher the voyeur the observer and you know you can like that too that that's fine and i feel like most viewers are doing one of those three things but the music kind of has to pick you know what i mean like the music well, has to decide who it's siding with but you don't think that they can kind of intertwine with each other they can go from i don't think the dom music can hmm. I think as a viewer, you could, yes. As a viewer, you could potentially switch. I don't think most will. I think most will probably find one part of this more titillating and will generally follow that or more engaging intellectually or whatever. Um, but the music kind of has to pick a side because the music just can't shift on a dime, as we know for well, having tried to write for things like this. Um, the problem that I have is that the score in this film and we can get to the next one as well it sort of sits and it tends to score what is seen so um you know mm -hmm. if someone is hitting someone we sort of like score it as though so it's, it's like mickey mousing basically yeah it's a bit mickey mousing but it, but it's also like it's emotionally disconnected because like when you've got a scene of like someone hitting someone over the side of a desk right which happens in this film we can if you score that naturally you'd kind of score it almost as like a almost like a soft torture kind of a scene mm -hmm. so you you treat it sinister this is like a dark thing that's happening right but that is not actually the perspective of anybody involved in this film for the dom the act of hitting somebody of like spanking them flogging them whatever this is an act of power and an enjoyable act of power for the person being hit it's not sinister either it is an enjoyable act of release and of being controlled for the observer the voyeur it is us 
potentially, it is like a titillating, exciting, erotic act that we're seeing. For nobody is this sinister. So why are we scoring it sinister? That's what I'm confused by here. I wouldn't say it's, I, I would say it's just unbalanced, like Lee, because as I said earlier, I feel like the music is more from her point of view and all mm. that emotion is in, there is more inspired because of her own state of mind. So you have to understand that obviously it's, she is more off kilter. Yeah, I can, I can accept that. I Hence why it kind of skips from style to style quite a, a lot, if that's what you mean, that you find yeah, it quite a bit I'm weird. In- inclined to assume that it's scored from the perspective of somebody who isn't into this stuff and so they're imagining well i'm not actually particularly into being hit by someone sexually so i would see this as sinister and that's why it's scored that way that's the way i tend to wind up falling on it that i feel like that's what's happening that they're kind of missing the emotional point of what's going on and that takes me out of the whole experience because I'm not I don't feel like I'm getting the experience of anyone involved in this film of this scene yeah okay fair enough moving on <laughs> <laughs> to the duke of burgundy and we are listening so it's three tracks in one but they kind of yeah. lead well into one after the other, so it's Duke of Burgundy, door number two. earlier so um it's a i guess a trilogy of tracks Tracks, because they do kind of have the same thing and for me it's basically a progression of the relationship for me yeah the sort of theme and it's very much a theme and variation musically it's the same tune played different ways yeah so obviously the first one is very broody and you know with the bassoon and it's very sort of you think it's a bassoon or a bass clarinet i think it's a bass clarinet i think it's meant it's been i think it's a bassoon Okay. But it's broody either way. <laughs> <laughs> it's low. It's yeah. that's, that, that's sinister, but also kind of enticing as well. Yeah. It kind of purrs and squeaks a bit, I think. It's got a real, there's a sensuousness to that. This one has got definitely a voyeuristic instrument. element to it. I think so, yes. 
And obviously it, it coincides with her viewing Cynthia through the keyhole, which again is also a, it's part of the role play. This is the first track where we see the perspective from Evelyn's as being the victim, and but she's sexually attracted to this tutor or, or person who is paying her to be the maid, so yes. we think. Um, so this yeah, the relationship kind of, is quite unclear at this point. Yeah, but we kind of see like one facade. Then yep. the second track is basically more, we get an overview of what the reality is of this relationship. The fact how, the fact that is basically a role play, that this isn't an actual real abusive relationship. It's an actual, like these are consenting adults who are participating in this sexual practice in there. But we get to see Evelyn's perspective, but the true perspective and that she is the one calling the shots here mm-hmm. and the development of this relationship is much more clearer and i feel that the vocal has a very siren call to it hence why it's very all-encompassing and it's yeah you get a feel that this is her fantasy and this is her dominance in this relationship um and then the third one is obviously it's a little bit more broken down so it's a little bit more distant it's still dreamily expressive but you acknowledge that something has changed and it's a little bit dejected as well yeah yeah i mean like i agree with basically most of what you're saying the, the problem i have is that um it's just so slow like the way that well, you want it to be much more fancy do you did you want it to be like a proper like old school golden age of porn music I mean, we get we get that in the other film later on. Um, <laughs> no, I think the the problem for me is that, and it kind of it really hits at this film in general. So, like, the composers are doing what they're supposed to do, right? But this film is just so earnest and it's so slow, and the sex scenes they feel almost funerary, right? They just they're they're so cold and dead, and it's funny, I didn't feel that they were cold. I think they were mm. quite sensual. Okay, I didn't. So I guess that for me it just robs sort of any warmth and like these scenes are in many respects like they're the emotional payoffs of this film, right? They're the reason why you kind of watch and, you know, you go back to the films that you say that this is kind of referencing those like sort of like... 70s European minor sexploitation type films like Emmanuel and stuff like that. And this is trying to do a very serious and earnest and version, whatever. That's that's great. But, yeah, the, those scenes were the reason why people watched those movies. And these scenes are one of the main reasons why people are going to be into this and the the, the dynamic and everything and, and the feeling of, of how it all comes together and stuff. And I'm sure it works for a lot of people, but for me it was just so dull what did you expect then i don't know what i expected i don't know if i can go there i just i get i was what would you uh, prefer to have heard because for me i felt given the subject matter yeah it for me it kind of went well it elevated it in the right places um i was still drawn into the characters and the emotion and the scene and what was happening um i felt like it kind of covered a real sort of nice veil over it but it's interesting that you didn't feel that look this is not a thing i've ever done it's not a thing i'm ever likely to do i don't think but i have always imagined that for the people involved there is a lot more 
going on emotionally than what this music or these scenes really convey. I feel like, in fact, mm. and I think maybe the music had has a lot to do because this, the scene looks like this. But I feel like, again, this is the same point I made a moment ago of like, for the people involved, I imagine that there's a lot more excitement, frisson, energy involved mm. in the experience of, you know, being watched of of having this thing done of knowing that this person has power over you i feel like there's an emotional energy that comes from that and there is no energy in these scenes i get well i kind of have to disagree because for me i'm getting a sense that it's all calculated because yeah but does I, yeah okay so you seem to be fine with the idea that you're involved in one of these scenes and it's it's dead and there's nothing going on and it's just very calculated and slow when you're going through this sequence of events. I wouldn't say it, but that's the thing. I didn't feel that it was dead. Mm. I just think it was a different... I think there was still emotional, but like I said, I felt like it was... Do you feel like it builds to any sort of a climax at any point? But the thing is, I think it's meant to showcase the fetish because... So these fetishes don't build towards any sort of emotional, sexual or other physical climax? Because surely that's the point of a sexual fetish is that you're building towards something. And these these tracks, they don't build towards anything, I don't think. And I always thought that was the point of BDSM is that you're, you know, getting that release of really driving towards something meaningful for both of you in your own very different ways where one you each mutually benefit from the, the power dynamic of the two of you. But it's also just a journey as well. It's not necessarily all about the finish line. I mean, yes, that's fine, but the the journey is the is the build, and there's no build. The journey can't just be a flat sequence of events, surely. It's, but you didn't feel like there was a build. No, I felt like it was, <laughs> no, no, but like no, I don't, I don't, and maybe that's the difference. If you feel like there's a build, and people at home think there's a build, I mean, right in. I, I guess I didn't feel it. But I felt that like these tracks showcased the characters and their. Uh, ideas and perspective of the fetish okay neutral version then the second one is more from evelyn's perspective that mm-hmm. she is kind of more controlling and that this this is her desire oh her yeah fear. and yeah. then the third is basically something where it's um but you have to understand that the whole storyline of this film is actually showcasing the demise of a relationship yeah, so I so I completely agree with you on this. Don't get me wrong. If Evelyn didn't supposedly cheat and um, like supposedly cheat, what she does is basically clean somebody else's boots, mm-hmm. which is meant to be like her and Cynthia's thing. Um, but that's just deemed as a betrayal. If that didn't happen and their relationship kind of progressed and there was no... If there wasn't a breakdown... Then mm-hmm. I think the third track would highlight that climax that you were after. Yeah, so I I will so I completely agree with you in the sense of like these three tracks collectively show the development of the relationship over the course of the film. Well, I and agree the char- with that. And the characters sure. as well. Yes, I agree. But in terms of within the individual scenes that they are placed, scenes both film and BDSM term they don't describe the emotional content of those moments. So I feel like moment to moment they don't work. But collectively as character development pieces, fine. But I would have preferred to see that between interstitially, as it were, rather than in what are essentially like the big um, sort of sexual set pieces, as it were. I'd be intrigued to know what how you would score a BDSM 
scene. It's <laughs> <laughs> a fair point. I, I, I don't know, but I wouldn't do it like this. Okay, interesting. I might. Yeah, I, I, I'm picking that up. <laughs> <laughs> so this will be interesting. Who is your winner? Which, I mean, may be completely unsatisfying for people listening at home of, like, two people not into BDSM, how would they score a BDSM? <laughs> I don't really like either of them. You're going to go Duke of Burgundy, so I'll go Secretary. <laughs> how do you know? Because I, I know you, Ella. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, <laughs> do you know? Okay, fine. That's true, you were right. <laughs> <laughs> so, moving swiftly on... To round three, sexual fantasy. And for secretary, we're listening to the track Bathing Blossom. So a moment ago, you mentioned golden age of porn music. Yep, this yep, is there it. There you go. Off you go. <laughs> Wax lyrical. It's, yeah, 70s soft core porn music. Too much. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm sure um, the director gave him a temp of some sort to utilize and to. I think out. with um, some of the, the music that Angelo's written for other films, I don't know if he needed a temp. I think 70s porno, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, definitely has that swaggering bass lines and those cheesy synth and yeah. I mean to be honest, I like it. I like the rhythm and the synth. It truly echoes this sort of like seediness and it's kinda of cheeky and it's very coquette sounding as well. It's got a wink to it, doesn't it? It's got yeah. the whole my my kinda of like one word review of this is it's it's got this kind of like wink to the audience like we know what's happening here. Yeah. <laughs> and that's about it. That's all it ever has to say. But I also, I like the, the little nuances of like how I think it's it's the little synthy sort of keys that kind of play in and they echo and they kind of symbolize her as a flower blooming and opening up. And it's like mm-hmm. something within her is awakening. And I like that element to it. Because obviously it's a, it's a fantasy and it's a dream within her, but I think it coincides with her taking more agency and 
acceptance of her yeah her desires that are aligned with not only with Mr. Grey, the fact that she's attracted to him, but also what he's willing to give her or can give her that will satisfy her in return. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I I just um I think it's a it's a good track. Yeah, it does the job. <laughs> Bish bag mom, as they say. Yeah, pretty much. I think I think that's pretty much all there is to say. The, the only thing I like, and I don't I don't actually know if I really want to commit to this at the point, but there is something a bit sort of nudge, nudge, wink, wink about it in using such a trope kind of a piece in that, like, it feels almost a little bit too coy for this film. Like, this is a film that just basically says, BDSM, we're going to show it, deal with it. I mean, it never gets particularly sexual in in terms of, like, the portrayal. And then, but, well, actually, no, it does at the end, don't get me wrong. But I, it's I, almost... I it's think almost I like I know where you're going. I think I know where you're going. You, you see, it sounds a little bit more of a parody. A yeah, bit. yeah. Well, yeah. So I think this is is this is used almost as like a joke. It's like a little. It's just like a slight musical joke. As I say, it's just kind of like nudge, nudge, wink, wink. We know what's happening here. Yes, she's masturbating. Off we go. And it's this weird kind of thing where this film is prepared to go there quite graphically with BDSM, but this moment, which is kind of really normal female sexuality, it's almost like it sees it as being a little bit too far. Like it can't actually really embrace this. It has to make it a little bit of a joke about it because it can't it's not prepared to be serious about this, but it's prepared it's, to be serious about the rest. It's making a joke of vanilla sex. Sure. We can call it that and that that sounds better. Sure. Yeah. Done. <laughs> So then moving on Vanillas, to the... which are orchids. So, you know, ties <laughs> it all together. Let's just lay this out there right away. Cause we haven't mentioned the like moths of Duke of Burgundy yet, but basically each of these films has a very signature like metaphor for vaginas. In this case, it's orchids and the other one it's moths. <laughs> and it is constantly through both films. So yeah, move on. Duke, Duke of Burgundy. Mm -hmm. um, the track that we're listening to is Lamp Light.
darkly sexual. And okay. It's quite ceremonial. It has an otherworldly quality to it. I think it's quite unusual that this music is quite an overwhelming piece because yes, it's quite gradual and it develops, but I found it very quite ethereal as well in a You don't think it's feminine sounding? I've heard other sort of sex scenes being scored when it's between females. It's always kind of went down the very sort of light like woodwinds, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, okay. This is a little bit more it has depth. You yep. know, yep. and I like that. And like in this, this, the visuals, the tone is very quite dark in itself as with the lighting and the reflective sort of shimmers and, you know, the bodies and entwining and everything. And mm. it's. And the crossfades to the moths. Yeah. So it it's quite majestic as well. Yep. So. I think this is the only part in the film where you feel there's a sort of equality, equal ownership and agency and their devotion and love for each other and appreciation. It, for me, it oozes love. <laughs> what? Okay. Okay, fine. No? No, I, 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 no, I agree. It's, the phrasing was, was funny to a pure old brain. <laughs> oozes. Um. Oozing love. <laughs> yeah. No, I like I, I agree. I think actually um, this is more what I would have liked to see elsewhere in the film, to be honest, in that. Oh, no, I think in the if it was like this all throughout the film, I think it would have been too much and become more of a joke. This is the one moment where you feel their their true selves and right. their true intentions of their relationship how they feel towards each other it's quite sad in a sense because this is the one moment where we see them happy and truly connected with each other and then throughout the rest of the film you kind of slowly see them disconnect from each other yeah you know that i've been saying all the way along that i wanted to see more of their relationship happy that's that's kind of what i mean um uh. <laughs> so i've actually it's an interesting piece and it it starts off almost Beethoven-esque. I think part of what you're describing as being ritual-like is this very, like, genuinely classical period, just sort of a core progression with a lot of tension and dissonance, stuff like that, and then it goes, it keeps that same kind of progression, but it goes into a more synth-heavy, I, I describe it as almost sounding underwater um, sound towards the end. But in general, I would say that this is actually kind of... It's quite traditional. It's quite a traditional love scene in many respects in that you've got the the intertwining bodies interspersed with sort of metaphorical images. That's pretty classic, you know. The classic, you know, they kiss and they roll around and then you see, like, sheets moving and waves crashing and, and stuff. It's, it's quite classic, but it's doing this film's particular quirk, which is the moth. The music is just your classic sort of, like, slow, major key, wave-like crashes of of feeling and emotion and all of the things that I understand other people experience when they have sex. And um, I imagine that the idea of going sort of synth to the synthy music is this sort of this shifting from it being kind of like natural and sort of mundane and into this sort of like almost supernatural, overwhelming, overpowering level of feeling um and i think that's kind of cool in the, the way that it is it is expressing this mm. feeling yeah so who are you going to pick then um i actually really don't like the track for secretary because yeah i think it might actually do some wrong things so i'm definitely going to go with the duke of burgundy because i actually do like it and it the other one is almost ineligible for mine 
Yeah, I'm gonna go for Duke of Burgundy. Okay, moving on to round four, relationship breakdown. Yes, and from Secretary, we're listening to a track called Loving to Obey. Yeah, so this is what I would call a slow drama cue, which is your classic kind of like um, basically suspense. Um, we call it um, in musical lingo minored with a twist. So you have like a minor key kind of a progression, but you you do something like a little bit funky with it, so something a little bit off the off scale or something like that, and you just have this really slow moving, tense kind of a scene um, or kind of a cue rather. Um, 
but there's a lot of warmth in the orchestration. The, the strings are quite raw and shimmering, which actually is quite um, cool. And it's, it's a sound that's more common you know, of the last five or six years in cinema than it was at that time. So it's a bit forward thinking, actually, as a sound, I think. Um, and the effect of that is to just give you this, like, bleakness and loneliness, which, as you say, like, perfectly matches what's going on. Of She's lost this kind of, like, first relationship that was ever doing anything for her, and now she's trying to fill that um, grey-sized hole in her soul with something else, and it's not working. So, yeah, mm. I like it. Yeah, I agree. It's tragic melody. It just has a sort of internal pleadiness and sadness yep. to this rejection, you know. And, yeah. Is that what rejection sounds like to you, Ella? But, well, let me just elaborate in more in the fact that it's a rejection of the union of her himself and what they have unraveled and discovered about each other. And there's that sadness of loss, mm. you know, mm -hmm. because you get a sense that she has accepted her herself whilst he hasn't yet. Uh -huh. Rejection is more when she's starting to feel good about herself and understanding and feeling validated of her needs through him and he's not willing to do the same for himself. So that then it's almost like saying like, you're a freak, accept it. I know I'm a freak, it's fine, but we can make each other happy. Whereas yeah. it's he's he doesn't seem to, he's still kind of holding on to like his, he's not willing to accept that what he feels and what he needs, his sexual needs are, are okay. He's yeah, he's repressed about it, he's still feeling shame yeah. over it, where she's embraced yeah. it more, more sooner than him. Yes. Ah, I like that. Good point. So moving on to the Duke of Burgundy and its Requiem of Duke of Burgundy.
So I'll give it points for being an actual Requiem, like with the actual <laughs> opening text of a Requiem. And to me, whereas I said the last one sounded a little bit Beethoven-like, a bit very classical, this one is a bit like Mozart mixed with Foray, I'd almost say. it's. Well, you, cool. know, you know, they initially used Mozart's Requiem. Uh, I thought and, that would have been based on something. But then it was removed, and so the director asked the band Cat's Eyes to if they can do something similar. So this was, so Mozart's Requiem was their sort of temp music, as mm, you, if you may yeah, say. That makes sense. Yeah, and it it just I think it definitely has an element of like what begins as a celebration of their union and their love and ends up being a lament for something that's been lost and it's tragic as well. Mm-hmm. It's very over the top as it is, you yes. know. But I do feel that it coincides well with the world. So the over the top didn't really bother me. I thought you'd say that. I don't know if you want to know about this fact, but the Duke of Burgundy is actually a breed of butterfly that Cynthia is fascinated yes. by in the film. And perhaps it represents her and its demise. Because I think as a species, it, there was a point where it kind of started to die off. And I guess it maybe reflects her relationship as she's aging and fragile, you know, because she's not able, you know, because there's a moment where she lifts something, she hurts her back and... Yeah. yeah, it's a sign of her not having a young body and being able-bodied as well as before and not being able to keep up with her lover's demands and expectations. So it's... Yeah. So this, I guess, is more of a relationship breakdown from the perspective of Cynthia. Yeah. I think this is one of those tracks where... It's one of those films, really, where you saw it in the cinema, which probably would have really helped... Um, Oh, it was a great experience in the cinema. I'm... Especially, like, you know, the scene where Evelyn's walking down the corridor in the middle of the night and then you have all these, like, moths coming in. Yeah. Swarm of moths. Oh, my God, I see that in the cinema with the full sound system. It was amazing. It felt so trippy. But, yeah, I completely agree. So I feel like if you're caught up in the moment of this film, this big, powerful piece could really, I don't know, put you over the top, as it were, um, really, like, grip you. Like, you know, when you're really into a film, you get these films that are quite polarizing right where if you get really captured by them then when they go like really ballistic at the end that just like takes you somewhere special but if for whatever reason that film has not grabbed you by that point it just feels over the top and it ruins the moment and i think that's what's happened here where for you you had this very different experience from it i think that you respond to a film like this differently to me anyway um I don't really know what I'm saying with that, but it's like a thing. Um, and I think it kind of really took you to a great place. And for me, it just felt it just felt like too much too soon. Um, and it well, just felt like too much for the scene. And like I, I can get juxtaposition or whatever, but I don't think that's what I was going for. And I guess for me, this idea of doing like a full, literally a full Requiem Mass for this relationship that wasn't even ending felt a bit wrong. Like... Within the context of the film, if this had been the moment that they realised, look, this is not going to work, and um, Evelyn actually did leave Cynthia for someone else who could provide it, and that this was the big requiem and her catharsis of it all, like, breaking down, I think I could have lived with that. But because it was really just a, oh, we can't quite do this relationship the way we had thought we could, we're going to have to, like, tone it down a bit, it just it felt like too much for me, so it didn't, it didn't quite match. So I will go with... Uh, secretary for this one for that reason okay well i'm gonna go for duke of burgundy Uh, of course you are (laughs) (laughs) 
sarcasm. (laughs) What a shock that the film that you literally, this episode is entirely based on you wanting to talk about (laughs) has been the one you vote for the whole way through. All right, let's move on to round five, Legacy. So, Secretary, what do you think? I think it could have done better. I don't think this is um, Angelo's best score. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like when you're talking about this film, you you wind up as we did earlier on. You wind up inevitably talking about his other scores because this there is it has a lot in common with like Twin Peaks, less so Mulholland Drive, but uh, Twin Peaks. Let's say there's a lot of Twin Peaks to this film. It's actually quite a bit of Twin Peaks to the score of Duke of Burgundy as well, just quietly. But certainly there's a lot in here. And so it kind of reminds you of his better work. And it works in the sense that, like, this is that soundscape but applied to a quirky, dark BDSM romantic comedy. And that's kind of fun. Um, but that's about, that to me, that's about all you can really say about it. Um the other thing I'll say is, like, I tried to think about these because, like, both of these are pretty quirky films that I don't think it really influenced any others, so I don't know if there's much point talking about that. So I was trying to think of these as, like, albums and how useful they might be on a Valentine's Day. Um, and I was thinking that <laughs> you would this... go that far. <laughs> Look, I, I definitely go there for the research. I, I... <laughs> I feel at best this soundtrack... You know, it provides some dark, sexiest music that you could maybe use for a romantic dinner, post-dinner music maybe. And I think it works for that because it never gets too far away from those dance rhythms. So I think it like it kind of give you like a like a dark, sexy kind of vibe. You could role play that, I reckon. Um, but at its worst, I think you just feel like your Valentine's dinner conversation was being like... Uh, given the score to The Young and the Restless, and you're just going to have, like, a massive blue. So, <laughs> your, your thoughts? I feel that both films and their music are echoes of the golden age of pornography, where music used to be very prevalent because the films had plots, character, and themes to the score because... So do you want to just, sorry, just quickly, do you want to explain the golden age of pornography to people who may have grown up after said age? <laughs> Well, I can only say that, like, the pornography, there is basically hardly any music to modern porn that we see nowadays due to Paris Hilton and Kim Kardashian's (laughs) um, leaked videos. No, because it's true, because that kind of started a new trend whereby... So the reality porn kind of Yeah, exactly. Whereas before, like, particularly in the 60s and 70s, like, music was... Like, I I had a quick listen last night to some of them, and I was just like, wow, this is actually a really good piece of music. It's... Well, as we saw in Taxi Driver, people used to go to the cinema to watch porn. There were, like, yeah. cinemas that you specifically went to to watch porn, and they did have production values and stuff. Well, like, you know, Morricone wrote uh, yep. music for softcore films, and so the, they had depth to them. Like, they had themes to characters. They had, like, a story. They were guiding the story, you know, mm-hmm. very well. And it was more of an artistic expression like it, I think what the issue or the development is that as it became as we went more into like the late eighties and nineties and noughties, it became more explicit the action. So you got to see yeah. more of the act, which therefore became the focus. Whereas before you were building up the scene and yeah. you got to see glimpses of it. So the the music would have to kinda fill in the gaps, I guess, yeah. where you couldn't see much so to speak. 
feel that secretary echoes the more i guess funk like groove funk 70s sleazy vibe I'd say it's kind of like the American sound yeah. of like the, the like the American sort of yeah. Both of these are kind of like exploitation. I, I think I get exactly what you're saying. Of like this is a very American '70s porno, the kind of boogie nights kind of yeah. porn, as it were. Whereas your um, the Duke of Burgundy is echoing the Euro, sort of European, Euro where they, the Europeans often weren't even really thinking they were making a porno. They just made a lot of, a lot of movies with a lot of with a lot of sex nudity. and nudity in it yeah. that was then interpreted as porn in America. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's their legacy in that it's kind of not I guess they reinvented it slightly maybe reinvent is maybe not that, but I guess a bit of a throwback. And I think that's quite you know, kudos to them for doing yeah. that. Um because I don't think they did it a disservice. I think both soundtracks albums are strong in their own way mm-hmm. to tackle such a subject matter that we don't really talk about or even back in those days didn't talk about as much. I think now it's slowly being discussed or being filmed and, and everything. Like there's several Netflix TV shows about I, I, Yeah, I think between Fifty Shades of Grey and the explosion of that in popularity and then Netflix as a as a platform sort of selling a lot more sort of like taboo type stuff, like the sort of things that people are interested in but nobody had been prepared to back publicly before. I think you're right. I think there is a lot more of this stuff kind of out there. Yeah. A Which, lot more direct discussion of this stuff, yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of going based on my emotion on my the impact the film had on me, mm. and the whole package was the Duke of Burgundy with the music and the scene and the look of it, everything. It and the amazing kept... sound effects. I mean, yes, and not yeah, because you you obviously you mentioned brief, briefly before, but like the sounds of the actual moths and like. This is the only film I've ever seen that has credits for sound effects in it. Like that they're mm. obviously these are the actual recordings of very specific moths that are talked about in the film and stuff like that. But also just like the sound effects of everything else, like the sounds of the like water, rivers and yeah, leaves the, and the forest. The yeah. Creaks of the bicycle, footsteps on the floor, like it's so clean and precise in its sound design. It is and really quite amazing. Oh, it's so deliberate, obviously. Yeah. But you appreciate it. Like, it doesn't take yeah. you out of the experience as a viewer. You embrace it. You actually feel, you understand that this is all part of the experience. The reason why I find it hard to say which one's got the better legacy, because, like, even though they were showcasing the same, they, they showcased the power dynamics and the sort of the pleasing expectation and the willingness and consent, I think it was just, it's nice to kind of appreciate to see one film focusing on a heterosexual relationship and the other more on the homosexual relationship sure i've done this before i'm gonna go for both oh okay i can't pick yeah i mean i kind of agree i don't know if i really can either duke of burgundy certainly has a remarkable sound um and the way that like it kind of has to be like this as a soundtrack because it has to keep out of the way of the sound effects a lot of the time. Like it has to meld with, not keep out of the way of, meld with. And I think it does that very well. So soundtrack wise, it's great. Um, yeah, I don't think either of them terribly much have influence as soundtracks. I think the Cat's Eyes album is certainly the more remarkable of the two albums in terms of the sound and stuff of them. But that's because they are a quite unique group in that they're in their sound and they don't have that many albums. 
whereas Bartolomenti is kind of playing along some very particular tropes. Um, as for the films, yeah, I mean, I think they, um, I think you're right. They each kind of like portray this world in a different way. I, I suspect, uh, I mean, my opinion on this doesn't matter to anyone, but I suspect that the Duke of Burgundy is going to be a lot more revered amongst the, the community around this because um, I think it's quite earnest and it, it deals with things very directly and it, it very much tells a story of two people in the BDSM community and what can kind of go wrong when it doesn't quite work or where the, as you say, the frailties of um, of Cynthia, they kind of get to her and bother her and, and it falls apart and stuff. Like I, I think that's quite a... An interesting tale to tell within the context of this world, um, whereas I think Secretary is more written for the, for the, an audience of from the outside looking in. Like I think it's also relatively um, careful in how it portrays the relationship and trying to portray the nuance, as you said right at the beginning. But it very much it it tries to baby you in and introduce you to the ideas of it. Whereas I think. Duke of Burgundy kind of like just throws you right in and expects you to know, whereas Secretary tries to explain it. So I think maybe more people become interested in the world via Secretary, whereas the people who are already in the world are probably more interested by Duke of Burgundy. So uh, which of those is the greater goal? I don't know. Um, it's so very I, well put. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm inclined to go the same of, of go like each are kind of doing their own thing and they're both doing it equally well. So look, I'll fall down the middle on this and that is obviously going to mean that actually relatively, no, not that close. Uh, we've got a win <laughs> to the Duke of Burgundy. Yeah! Which I think is fair enough. So, next month, um, moving on out of... February. We're going to go back to the world of games, one of the things that everybody always promises in shows like this and never actually gets around to. Um, we're not going to compare two particular games, but what we're going to do is we're going to sit down and talk about and just some pieces from some of the strongest soundtracks of the year. So we'll give it a little bit of a... Um, so um, soundtracks of games released in 2020, which is quite an interesting little world. So we'll just do like a little bit of a sampler of some of the best pieces and we might like put a couple of little rounds against each other. I'll, I'll come up with something. So pay attention to our social media for that. Again, it'll be at Trustilla Music on various channels. Maybe if you would like, send us in some suggestions of what we should look at. I've certainly got some ideas, but I'm happy to hear some more. So that is what we will be doing next month. And I think that could be quite entertaining. It's been a while since we talked about game music. So yeah, I'm looking forward to this little change. Excellent. Until then, I mean, how are you going to be spending the, the rest of your February? Playing with a kitten, I, I would assume. Yeah, making sure that he doesn't kill me while I sleep. <laughs> That's sort of a demon cat. <laughs> oh, he's lovely. I'm joking, no, but he all he wants to do is just curl up and sleep on me. Aww. So it's very sweet. Biding his time. So if Ella is still alive next month, we will both speak to you then. <laughs> Until then. Goodbye. Bye. Standing by the staircase, she follows their eyes.